Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Pipe weenies and weeniets unite in celebration of International Pipe Smoking Day. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine. It is uh, International Pipe Smoking Day week. There you go. Uh, Coming up this Saturday, International Pipe Smoking Day. Hey, all right. So in tonight's show, uh, as I promised, I'm going to touch on some of the... uh, some of the the not so fun stuff that is facing the tobacco industry, both here in uh, in the U.S. and in Europe, I'll get everybody up to date on that. Uh, my guest tonight is very special, and I'm excited to have him. It's William Sarad. Many of you have heard his uh, or read his reviews and his articles. Glad we got him for a special uh, International Pipe Smoking Day kind of a show. Uh, mailbag, music, and rant, all that coming up in this episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Um, just a reminder, this Saturday I will be at the uh, Briary in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, celebrating an International Pipe Smoking Day there. Uh, how are you going to celebrate it? What are you going to do? Are you going to party? Hey, bud. Let's <laughs> party. Are you going to be able to get together with some uh, pipe-smoking friends and celebrate together? Hey, let me know what you all did for International Pipe-Smoking Day. Uh, if you get a chance, share it on the uh, Pipes Magazine radio show page on Facebook. We would appreciate seeing what everybody's doing out there. Maybe if you're just hanging out at your uh, favorite tobacconist or your favorite smoking spot. Pop a uh, picture up there on the uh pipes magazine radio show page all right let's get the show rolling so thank you all for tuning in thank you to the sutliff tobacco company and here we go i'm jeremy reeves head blender of cornell and deal pipe tobacco company since 1990 cornell and deal has been producing high quality pipe tobacco expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes Autumn Evening so well-loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favourite blends outside of the US? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favourite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the US and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We are back for the International Pipe Smoking Day version of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, normally I wouldn't want to do this on uh, such a celebratory day, but it's kind of timely, so I want to get this information out and let you know what's going on behind the scenes, uh, legislative-wise, with the uh, pipe tobacco world as a whole. Uh, So as I mentioned last week or a couple weeks ago, uh, McBaron is doing some retooling of their lines. Well, the reason they're doing some retooling of their lines is because there's a tobacco packaging directive 
that is coming down from the European Union that is requiring a standardization of all tobacco packages. Now, what does that mean? Alright, so all of the product has to be in a standard size pouch or can that allows for a standard warning on it. Uh, here's what they're looking at is a, uh, is a, uh, the 28 member states have to agree upon this. And by May of this year, they're supposed to all be switched. All manufacturers are supposed to be switched over to this new agreed upon format for tobacco packaging. Um, problem is that's coming up in may and the only thing they've agreed on is the size of the new pouches and the pouch has to have x amount of room for warnings on it both on the inside and the outside however only two countries have have agreed on what all they want there's still another 26 to go and nobody really knows what those 26 are going to say uh there's two that have agreed there's two that want stronger restrictions on the uh on the packaging and there's two that want lesser how does it affect us as pipe smokers well it affects us all in the cost because anytime you have to change over packaging there's a loss of packaging there's a changeover time and retooling of machinery and packaging lines and that cost all gets put onto the tobacco company. The tobacco company has to make money. Well, they pass it along to the consumers. So that's going on in Europe. Um, those of you in Europe, you might start to see some new looking pouches coming out soon. Uh, I will keep you up to date as I hear something or as soon as I hear anything for, uh, for you guys out there in Europe. Now, here in the good old United States of America, we believe we are about two weeks away from hearing finally how the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, how they plan on regulating or what their decided deeming regulations are for pipe tobacco. Uh, we're about two weeks away is what we hear. Now... Don't go jumping off the bridge just yet. Don't go squirreling your tobacco away just yet. The entire industry, both pipes and cigars, believes that from the date these regulations are announced, the industry will have about 21 to 24 months to comply. So that means nothing will change right away so don't jump off the bridge this isn't a uh, it's not all bad right away um we really don't know what yet are in the deeming regulations uh all we know is that there will be some registration requirements and there may be a grandfather date of 2007 that basically says any product on the market before 2007 does not have to file either a new product placement or a form that's called a substantial equivalency. Uh, there's possibilities of each tobacco blend being required to be tested, and it depends on the frequency of the tests and the cost of the test. Um, how does this affect all of you as pipe smokers? Well, first of all, it may make some of your favorite blends go away because they may not be either approved or they may not sell enough to go through the approval process because the approval process has some fees involved and it has to be professionally presented. Um, the other thing that it means is that if the, uh, if the testing requirements for blends or products on the market, if the tests are very expensive, it will make tobacco companies look at the availability of blends. Now, again, nothing will happen or nothing will be required to happen for 21 to 24 months after 
the regulations have been announced and posted. Uh, I will keep you up to date as soon as we hear what they are and let you know what I think is going to happen and just give you as much of a heads up as possible. So stay tuned into the Pipes Magazine radio show and we'll try to keep you up to date with the freshest news. All right, now back on to uh, celebrating International Pipe Smoking Day. Uh, In just a minute, my guest... William Sarad will be on the phone with me. This is Internet Radio. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is Molto Dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. (laughs) Just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. It is like they are all having a giant playful pillow fight on smooth and silky sheets of tobacco in my mouth. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore... Best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Sightlift Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Balto Dolce blend in public. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, getting ready for International Pipe Smoking Day coming up this weekend, so I've saved tonight's guest to help us celebrate International Pipe Smoking Day. Uh, Our guest is William Sarad, and uh, Mr. Sarad has smoked more pipe tobacco than anybody I've ever known, has written more about pipe tobacco than anybody I've ever known, and we're going to talk a whole bunch with you and get to know you more, but please welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show, William Sarad. Hi, it's actually pronounced Sarad. Sarad, I apologize. Uh, so tell us where, uh, when did you get started smoking a pipe? How did you get started? What was the fascination? Well, uh, it was kind of odd start, I guess. I, uh, I was in college, um, I think it was my freshman year and believe it or not, my first pipe was a Calabash, uh, because I was interested in Sherlock Holmes, not knowing that that was actually a William Gillette invention and had very little to do with uh, the stories. And uh, the first blend I tried was an Americanized English that was called Adam's Choice from Philadelphia Tobacconist, which was their biggest seller. And uh, I could very well have stopped there, actually, because uh, I then moved on to aromatics and it was downhill, so... um, I, I started off at a, a much higher point than, than average, perhaps. So you actually, you I mean, the, the Calabash, you bought one of the big gourd Calabashes with the Meerschaum cup and figured you were yes. going yes. yes, to walk down Baker Street and solve mysteries. Uh, walk down Chestnut Street in Philadelphia, actually, or, <laughs> or Walnut to harken back to uh, Middleton Blends. <laughs> I... And this was uh, 50 years or so ago? 1973. Okay, good. So it wasn't that long ago. All right. Um, no, I'm not as ancient as I seem. Yeah. <laughs> no, my math was off. Uh, <laughs> so you walked into the tobacco shop and they, you knew what you wanted or did they kind of guide you? Who, who would ever guide you to a Calabash? <laughs> All right, so after the Calabash, where did we go pipe-wise from there? Well, I was a student in school, and I had kind of, depending on what my budget was, I, you know, they were largely the, uh, the, the 
basket pipes, you know. Um, though, to be honest, uh, I was getting Charitan seconds back then for dirt cheap, and I didn't realize what they were. Uh, and uh, a second from them was better than first that are available today in many respects. And um, depending on how much money I had, too, in the, in the budget at the time, since I was working my way through school, in addition to parental supplements, I, I, uh, I smoked Middleton 5 when I had no money. Uh, I Burlington Arcade from Harry Tint on, uh, or 109 off, uh, he was one of the tobacconists on South Broad Street, very small shop, he only had five blends, and uh, if I had a bunch of money, it was uh, Rat Trey's Red Rappery back then. Wow. So you really, you did try, or you tried a whole bunch and kind of moved around for a while and found stuff? Oh, I, uh, trying different blends is, uh, you know, it's still part of my interests. Uh, You know, I, uh, it was was based on, you know, funding mostly, I guess, uh, depending on what I was, what I was trying. Then I did move on to aromatics, which I discovered, I, I, very few of them actually have good underlying leaf and it's hard to find some that are worthy as, as tobacco as opposed to worthy as flavorings. <laughs> uh, and then I just became obsessed with what was what was in things, you know. There was uh, I was I was constantly asking asking uh, the the owners of the blends if they could tell me what what was in it, and uh, uh, it was it was an interesting excursion. You could still get varietals back then in Turkish kinds of leaf as well. You could get just energy or tobacco or other things. Uh, so I, I had uh, I had my own blend at that point at Philadelphia Tobacconist. They used to keep a card catalog, and uh, um, they, they had a lot more ingredients than you would find uh, today at a, at a blending bar, probably. Yeah, and many of our, let's put it this way, most of our listeners are not going to really remember a blending bar that had a lot of uh, straight varietals on it. I mean, so the, when you went into the tobacco shop, they had all these different Turkish tobaccos and different kinds of straight condimental leaf there? Yes, uh, two different kinds of Latakia, different uh, uh, different Virginias, uh, depending on where they came from at that point. Um, uh, and, of course, burleys tended to be a little more similar to each other, but the cut was different. So that was the beginning of my blending obsession. I actually, uh, Cornell and Deal, when I, I had uh, met Craig Tarler at that point, when he had not owned the business for that long, he bought the old Atlas Blending Company things, and I was suggesting blends to him. Uh, then we had a kind of uh, relationship going just on the basis of, of, the, of the blends. I, I think... By the time it was finished, about 38 of the Cornell and Deal blends were my recipes, and uh, um, he was the one who suggested that I write the reviews for Pipes and Tobacco, the original huh. bunch of reviews years ago. Okay, so you're so through your relationship with with Craig is how you got introduced to the folks at Pipes and Tobacco's magazine. Yes, the uh, the guy that did it before, who uh, had the professor's pipe page, I think it's called, the website is still up, uh, just sort of all of a sudden said, I can't do this anymore, and poof, went away, and they, you know, I guess they would have taken anybody at that point, which was, I fell into the category of anybody. <laughs> you exceeded their expectations. I, I exceeded their anybody-ness. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let, let's talk for a minute about what, when you're looking at a blend and, and you're starting to put a blend together how do you go about it obviously you've got some background and you know what everything's going to kind of taste like but what's your process of fine tuning the blend for me to make one Mm -hmm. uh, well you get an idea of what you'd like it to end up like and then you make a first stab I actually have this sort of a three by five card system and I write the ingredients on the left side and then I write columns across it as I as I modify the blend. And usually by the time I've got to the end of the three by five card is finished, sometimes I've gone as far as 
three cards table together because I keep tweaking and just doesn't want to get to where I want it to be. Um, Will some of your modifications be like as as uh, as little as like two percent change in this or that or? Uh, no, I I don't think it's actually that small. I you know there is that there's so much variability in the leaf in many cases that uh, it's it's at a higher a higher level than that. Uh, though you know I I I do it in grams usually, so I end up with uh, uh, a, a 16 gram sample, so that it works out to per poundage sort of thing. I don't I don't do it by percent. Wow. All right, so let's let's fast forward to you're starting to work with uh, you're starting to do the trial by fire section for Pipes and Tobacco's magazine. Uh, what's your approach to taste testing a blend that you've never smoked before? Uh, since I have very broad taste, which is to say just about anything, I, I only have one rule: it has to actually taste like tobacco. So even in the case of aromatics, it can't be sauced to the point where I no longer recognize that it's not a brown paper bag shredded with goop on it or something. <laughs> uh, so uh, I uh, uh, essentially I take it for what it is within its genre, uh, and then if I think there's a there there, I keep trying different pipes, different uh, different atmospheric conditions, different other things to try to get it to speak. Uh, in, in its best voice, so I mainly it's trying to optimize the uh, the blend. Have you ever just like completely ruined a pipe with a blend that was just terrible? Ruined the pipe? Uh, no, there's some that are kind of dedicated to Latakia. So some people think that I have like bazillions of pipe, which is pipes, which is not quite true. But I have a, a large number, and some are only Virginia Flakes, some are other things. Um, some of the pipes that I have are, are so dense that it doesn't matter what's in them, it doesn't retain anything. I, I, it must be a char- characteristic of the briar or something. Um, there are some pipes that I have tried, like land things, and, and they are forever tainted. <laughs> they, are, they, they cannot be exercised, it just, it's always going to be in there. Now, I want you to, the theory of a Virginia tobacco smoking better or a Virginia flake smoking better in a small bowl um, or an English tobacco smoking better in a large bowl, does that run true for you or did you find that, can you debunk that for us? Um, Well, you know, the, the cut of English blends has changed over the years. They were really closer to shags when I when I started. They were very finely cut if you look at some of the old stuff. In fact, you know, recently I had occasion to be comparing the uh, the new John Cotton Smyrna to my ancient uh, UK production sample that I had, and, and it was, uh, I'd forgotten how fine it was actually uh, cut. And then it was, uh, I guess that allowed it to be mixed more homogeneously. So small ball, large ball, I'm not sure it mattered as much with the older ones. The ribbons seem to be a little bigger today than, than they used to be. Uh, over time, the pipes that I have used have just gotten smaller on their own. <laughs> I developed the TMJ problem, and uh, I, I had a quite a large number of Ben Wades back in the day, hulking big, you know, gigantic things, uh, which just became collector items, in essence. And uh, in, in recent years, I moved away from that size anyway we're going to take a break right here when we come back we'll talk more about uh, tobacco tasting and then writing about it and all that so stay with us we'll be back in just a minute what are you looking for in a pipe is it the quality of aged briar is it a certain shape or finish Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. 
With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic cashmere, the sultry licoricea, and the striking archipelago red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. If you're looking for quality, if you're looking for a variety, and if you're looking for someone with a reputation for nothing but the best, you're looking for CupOfJoes.com. CupOfJoes.com has hundreds of pipes to choose from and thousands of different pipe tobaccos. CupOfJoes.com is also your one-stop shop for Peterson Pipes, their exclusive line of Peterson Kelly Pipes. Check out their remodeled website at CupOfJoes.com and be sure to like them on Facebook, CupOfJoes.com. Quality products at extraordinary prices. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show talking with the uh, with the man who smoked, smoked way more tobaccos than I've ever tried. Uh, William, let me ask you this. Uh, is there any particular truth to country of origin of the pipe smoking a certain tobacco better, or does it really just depend on the, on the pipe itself? Uh... I think it's just the pipe itself, really. I, um, I mean, the the oldest pipes that I have are Algerian Briar, which nobody can get anymore. Um, but you know, beyond that, then there's you know how it's treated, how old the Briar was before it was it was carved, um, whether it's given an oil bath or one of those kinds of processes. You know, all the all the maker secrets that I really don't care about. You just want to know if the pipe's going to be good or not. Yeah, because I've had totally cheap pipes made out of I don't know what wood, and they are great smokers, and I've had expensive ones that are terrible smokers. And The hottest pipe that I have is a Dunhill. I have no idea why. It just is. Um, <laughs> and I have some other no-name things I, that, that are really much superior, so it's just almost fluke you know so so you mentioned you used to have a bunch of bigger pipes and now you're moving to to smaller ones are there certain are there certain brands that you have an affinity for uh i like upshuls i have some old wilkies from uh way back when which were all sort of smaller recently i've uh i just bought not too long ago uh a Linea Britannia uh, that actually is really nice. Um, believe it or not, the original Ben Wade's were not nearly as big as the uh, as the ones made by uh, oh, what's his name? Preben Holm. Preben Holm, yes. I'm looking at an actual Preben Holm now so I can remember his name. <laughs> uh, so the I have uh, some of the older ones that are Actually, ugly as pipes go, but uh, they—they're very airy, open pipes, and they're not hulking large uh, pieces of wood either. So, I—I I don't think I've been able to ask this of too many people, but in the uh, in the forty years now that you've been smoking a pipe, have you seen a uh, have you seen a trend in? Uh, in either the pipes or the tobacco manufacturing that has hurt the uh, that has hurt the industry. Uh, well, the over-the-counter blends all sort of, you know, the the whole Middleton removing their line of stuff that goes to way back when the the death of the House of Windsor blends. Those were all the biggest blends available in the United States during their heyday. That's pretty tragic to me. Uh, in terms of the pipes, uh, there are just lots of very talented carvers out there. I can't even keep track at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, 
anybody that has ever picked up Pipes and Tobacco's magazine has read your writing. How do are there are there sometimes some flavors that you don't know how to describe or some or a smoking experience that you haven't that you've had a real hard time describing? Uh, I've been criticized <laughs> both for my vocabulary and my allusions to uh, other things, classical music or other stuff. Um, but really, I'm just trying to convey the experience of it. I, I don't know that anybody could convey the actual taste to you except by an analogy to other blends or some other kind of sensory impression. I, I know that some people like to review tobaccos like wines and talk about the nose and talk about other, other things, other uh, physiognomy aspects of, of people like big bottoms and whatever, but, uh, <laughs> you know, how, how do you have words to, to, to describe it? The, the best to me is to make a parallel to other tobaccos that hopefully somebody's tried. At least I would give them a, a much more direct and real reference. However, and, I have been, as I said, made fun of. And I think you are also accused of sometimes being very blunt. Uh, well, I, I am not lacking in opinions. Whether <laughs> <laughs> you agree or not, I, I have plenty of opinions. I have enough opinions for two people, actually. And as I've always said, you're the uh, leading expert on your own opinion. Yes, on, on both of my own opinions. <laughs> as long as your opinions don't argue with each other, you're fine. No, they, they generally line up. I don't, I don't have that much mental, mental torsion going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so besides pipe smoking and writing reviews, which we know doesn't make a living, what did, what did you do for a professional career? I uh, make mathematical models of behavior. I, I started out as an econometrician many, many years ago. Um, I worked for Nobel laureate Lawrence Klein, and uh, then I moved on to other kinds of market models and uh, behavioral sorts of things over time. So are you the person that figures out why I buy which toothpaste? Kind of, yes. Or the, the person who tries to induce you to buy a different toothpaste. And and is there... <laughs> okay, good. In recent years, it's been in pharmaceuticals, so I, you know, <laughs> a little different than toothpaste, but... Yeah, so walk us through exactly what you mean, because I, I'm, I've got a bit of an, an idea of what you, of what you do, or, but I'm, <laughs> I need, a, I need more layman's terms on it. Um, well, I used to forecast the economy, um, uh, not not the macro economy, but a bunch of microeconomic parts of it, running from farm equipment to, to uh, eating away from home behavior to a bunch of different things. And then the other, as time moved on, it was uh, I. I'm the one who figures out when. Uh, when and where to show television commercials, what junk mail you get, who's going to call you on the phone to try to sell you something as long as you're not on the do not call list. Uh, in more recent years, I've modeled physician behavior based on drug characteristics. Wow. So can are you the one that can explain to me why Viagra has a whole different name that doesn't make sense to me either, but they call it Viagra? You mean the chemical name? Yeah. <laughs> yes, because they have to go get some unique name to sell to people, and depending on what country you're in, the name may be different uh, around the world. Uh, and the FDA has to approve the name, and it has to not evoke another name for a drug that does something else. It's a long process. Just the naming of a drug. is There are companies that specialize in naming studies. Okay, well, there's a whole other area of the world that I didn't know existed. But sometimes you're better off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just want Advil, and I know it's ibuprofen. Yes. Yeah, that makes my life easier. Or, uh, or Motrin. Yeah. Or... or the same stuff, just with a different name on it. Yes. Uh, going back to uh, pipes and tobaccos, which I kind of understand... Is there, 
What do you see as the future of the pipe and tobacco world? Uh, well, it seems clear to me that it's becoming popular again. Uh, you know, unfortunately, you have a bunch of cigarette blends that are kind of creeping in under a misnomer for, for avoidance of tax purposes. Um, but you also see a whole lot of young guys and women uh, who are interested in in the whole hobby. Um, it's it's interesting looking at the uh, just my local club here, the uh, Christopher Morley Club in, in Philadelphia. The there are a lot of young young people involved in it again. And do you see them? Uh, I, I find them to be exceedingly more educated on the on what they're smoking than what we ever were when we started. Uh, yes, they they take it very seriously from either the pipe or the tobacco side. Though there's you know there's a lot of tobacco misinformation. If you I read tobaccoreviews.com sometimes just just for amusement's sake. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And people have just erroneous ideas about what's going on, but, you know. I've always told people, if you're reading public forum reviews like that, you need to find a reviewer that you like and understand and can agree with, and then only pay attention to those people. Don't read everything that's there. Yes, I, I, uh, there used to be a movie reviewer in Philadelphia, and if he liked something, I hated it. And if he hated <laughs> it, I loved it. So it was, at least I knew what his pattern was so that I could, I could still use, benefit from the information in his reviews. I'm sure people have similar reactions to things that I've written. Uh, yeah, and it, and it probably worked out well for them that if, they, if you hated it, they loved it. Yeah, as long as there's consistency in it, then it has value. Now let, let's talk about the other thing that you did because you just you wrote a book recently. Uh, yes, I did. Um, as <laughs> I uh, I've started a, a, a book a year for about twenty years of all different sorts, and I just never could push it over the line. I never got much past chapter two or three, depending on depending on what it was. So I hired an editor uh, whose purpose I discovered was to sort of teach me a process and torture me into completion. So I uh, I did that. And what is the name of the book and what's it about? It's uh it's kind of strange. I was I was picking the course of least resistance actually since I <laughs> I had uh, numerous uh, numerous topics that I had started before, some of which were purely historical, some of which, in fact, I was thinking about writing writing one now about, uh, I have a title and several chapter outlines, but about current events, I was going to call it The Rage of America, because <laughs> everybody is angry and hates hates everybody that's running, it's just a, once, you know, it's a wonderful uh, thing, uh, but uh, it was... It's called uh, Proclaim Liberty. It's only available as an e-book book on uh, Amazon. And uh, it's actually about uh, terrorists and, uh, and reenactors, if you could imagine mixing those together. And uh, <laughs> in the historical setting of, of Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Yeah, when you mean reenactors, you mean the people that reenact like the, the Revolutionary War and the Civil War and get dressed up? Yeah, and... exactly. Yes. <laughs> and they get mixed up with terrorists? Yes, because the uh, Homeland Security fails, so they're the only ones left. Uh, and, uh, of course, the protagonist is a pipe smoker. Well, there you go. There's a pipe-smoking slant to everything. If, if, you're, if you're allowed to write the story, there is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And I and I'm sure it works out to where the pipe smoker wins. Absolutely. Okay. Good. And he finds a goes without saying. And he finds a stash of fifty year old Balkan Sobrani. No, no, actually, there it doesn't mention what he's smoking. He's just he's uh, he's 
smoking his pipe at the beginning at the end of the story. <laughs> the, um, uh, I think all protagonists, actually. If you look at the murder mysteries, in fact, I mentioned this in the column uh, recently that uh, somebody brought up uh, how many old movies had uh, had pipe smokers. And it, uh, you know, there was that uh, great detective series from Ardor, uh, the pipes that they had. Yeah. There were only three in the series, but it was it was an interesting uh, series nonetheless, and uh, they represent uh, certainly three of the, the titans of the uh, detective literature. Um, but there were many other uh, movies as well. I was talking to the uh, to the founder of the Morley Club, one of the founders, um, uh, Bob Page, and. We were, we were discussing how many how many old movies had had uh, pipe smokers in them, uh, and you don't see much of that anymore. Uh, no, you don't see much of that anymore because uh, it has to be historical smoking; otherwise, it will automatically get a rated R. Well, you know, even at that, if you if looking at uh, what is it, elementary, and he's using nicotine patches or something instead of. Yeah. Actually smoking calls it a two patch problem or whatever. It's really disturbing to me. It's uh, it's just a, a remarkable distortion. Yeah, nicotine's not bad. Just smoking it is bad. Yeah, I just I just don't get it. <laughs> I just really don't get it. What other? Uh, just give us a rundown real quickly on some of the articles that you've written recently for pipes and tobaccos. Uh, well, I wrote, uh, I actually wrote my first fiction for the magazine, uh, Three Clergymen Went Into a Bar was the first one, and there's another one in the coming issue, uh, same three clergymen who were all pipe smokers and solving people's problems. Um, I wrote an article, uh, probably my all-time favorite, it was actually about Pablo Casals, it, it starts, uh, starts with Bob, uh, all the way through, um, the guy who's playing Casal's pipe, because when he was introduced to the cello, uh, smoke, playing Casal's cello, when he was introduced to the cello by Casal's wife, he could smell his uh, the pipe in it. Apparently, ashes used to fall down from the pipe into the cello. Um, so <laughs> he's uh, he's an Israeli cellist who uh, who redid uh, Casal's program with Peabody, and, uh, and he's kind of reproducing some of his program to. Uh, however, it was I, I traced pipe smoking through from Bach to uh, to uh, Pablo Casals' contribution to uh, to current performance technique. Um, so I, that, that was that was one of my favorites, and I respond to people who write in, which at times is difficult because people don't always write in. <laughs> then I have to become more creative. The art of writing in is uh, is a dying thing now. It's it's amazing to me that there are no pipe smokers without opinions, and yet getting them to put them on a piece of paper and mail them to you or send an email or something is, is just phenomenally difficult. <laughs> uh, I'll ask you one more question because your your insight into this is gonna is gonna be interesting to me. You mentioned. Trying the new uh, the new John Cottons and comparing it to your old one, uh, your your yeah. original English made. Uh, is it? I I know that it's really hard to replicate a blend from a different country, different manufacturer, and so on and so on. But do you think it is actually possible? nowadays to recreate some of these old classic blends or are we recreating a blend that is near it and pays homage to it uh some of the attempts at recreating things bear no resemblance there are a lot of copies of the windsor blends house of windsor blends and they literally bear no resemblance whatsoever to the thing that they're supposed to be a knockoff of um in the case of these cotton blends uh, I, Smyrna happens to have been one of my favorites, <laughs> all-time favorites, and uh, I have a matched pair of Tinskys, actually, that uh, I use for testing things, because uh, they're 
they're actually, at one point I had Tinsky making the pipes from the Sherlock Holmes stories. One of, one of the articles I wrote years ago was actually, uh, every mention of pipes and tobaccos in the whole canon of, of the Holmes literature, and, and amazingly they printed all of it, uh, which just astounded me because it was not a, a small thing. Um, and I had Mark Tinsky making me the, the pipes that were that were mentioned in the, in the as, as we imagined them to be. Um, uh, so I had this matched pair uh, of them, and uh, I used them for testing things. And I have never tried a copy that is of anything that is closer than this. Understanding that the British one I have now is sort of in its penumbral days, it's it's a pastel version of of what it used to be. But in terms of balance, mouthfeel, the incredible room aroma from Smyrna, uh, it's just it's the best copy of anything I've ever tried. That is uh, high praise coming from you. I uh, I was actually interested in getting some other people's opinions about uh, the the other cotton cotton blends. They also redid Warhorse, which was a curious choice to me uh, because I just remember trying it once and it was like something that you would be smoking as you were going ashore at D Day or something. You know, it wasn't a <laughs> wasn't something that was a casual thing to puff on. It was a you know. We we had Dan on the sh- we ha- we had Dan on the show and the way he described it sounded so unappetizing, but yet they they wanted to do it anyway. Well, the uh, the loose cut one is not as ferocious as the as the the bar that's going to be made, uh, as I understand it. So it, it was actually uh, a pretty nice pretty nice blend, but it's not. Uh, when when the press one comes out, it'll it'll be even stiffer, so it'll it'll be, I think, closer to the uh, the original. <laughs> Plus, there's that whole thing of stuff that you put in, the you know, <laughs> the, the, the the magic ingredients and the and the equipment itself. Some of that is just irreproducible, you know. I mean, Samuel Gallus is still using some of the same equipment now for for forever. So you can't reproduce what the machinery actually brings to the process. <laughs> we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Surprise, Are you... surprise though. Yeah, here, here they come. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is your favorite pipe? My favorite pipe is... Uh... Uh, probably an, an upshell. It's a small upshell that I have. And what is your favorite tobacco? Oh, well, that's impossible to answer. <laughs> I knew that an one. Hour of the day, different days of the year. That, I don't have an answer for that. So, if you wanted to know my best blend I ever made, it was uh, called Baalbeck. It, it was a Syrian Latakia blend that was offered by a uh, by Cornell and Deal. I thought that was my, my best effort. How many different tobaccos do you have open right now that sitting around you? Sitting around me? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, one, twelve, oh, thirty, <laughs> forty. Uh, next question is, what is your favorite drink? Milk. 1%, 2%, regular? Uh, I, I like uh, the full bore part, but my wife buys two, so I'm... <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's what you drink? That's what I drink, yes. When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? read a lot. I, I'm talking to you from my library, actually. Um, uh, but I also, I am a musician. I, my hobbies are largely musical. I play the cello and I sing opera. So, so not only can you do high-functioning math, you can write, read, play music. I'm not sure I like you anymore. Um, I can't do it all at the same time. Okay, good. While drinking a glass of milk. Yes. 
And the last question, do you have a particularly favorite uh, pipe smoking related memory? Uh, well, I can tell one that was just so striking to me. For years I had never tried uh, Escudo. And one day when I was working downtown, I bought a tin and I was out for a stroll, springtime, wandering down the residential street and I lit it up and the flavor was so astounding, so utterly astounding, I sat down on somebody's front steps and finished the bowl without moving and it was just amazing. And they didn't throw you off the front steps? No, it was lunchtime, they were probably at work. I was, <laughs> these are large townhomes in the middle of Philadelphia, so... <laughs> So to see some of your writing, we need to get a subscription to Pipes and Tobacco's magazine, and we need to get back copies of all that. Uh, where else can we find uh, stuff of yours and keep up with you? Uh, well, there's the, the book on Amazon. Um, I don't know where else, other than technical papers or <laughs> contributions to things that you really don't want to read. <laughs> about it I guess I, I don't think anywhere else much we can email you directly through uh, Pipes and Tobacco's magazine and get questions sent to you you can indeed in fact I would urge that I, uh, I'm always open to anybody's comments or things that they would like discussed even uh, I finally got somebody to admit that they uh, they adjust the airways on pipes <laughs> <laughs> after, after Mr. Stanley uh, uh, Nigro had, had written in and I know people do this all the time, and nobody said anything about it. And finally, uh, somebody did and, and wrote wrote at length. So I uh, that will be also in the next issue. But I know there are people that, that do that. Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, thank you for your for all your contributions to our uh, wonderful hobby. You're quite welcome. It's been uh, my uh, my great pleasure. We'll be back in just a minute. Craftsmanship, history, tradition. These are the hallmarks of all quality products. From the finest wines bottled in France to the most highly engineered automobiles manufactured in Germany, Denmark has been the one country in the world where craftsmanship, history and tradition have for centuries created the finest pipe tobaccos in the world. Since 1887, the Halberg family have led the pipe tobacco industry through their ownership of Mac Baron Tobacco Company, and they continue to create the most sought-after blends in the world today, just as they did over 100 years ago. In keeping with their long history of providing the world with the best tobacco on earth, Mac Barron is proud to announce their newest creation, Modern Virginia, as a loose-cut version and a flake version. Bright and dark, rich Virginia tobaccos have been combined with just a hint of burley for strength in this soft and smooth smoke with delicious fruit undertones. As the world leader in flake tobacco production, Mac Barron is sure that this blend will appeal to the true connoisseurs of traditional Virginia flake tobacco, as well as those who like their tobaccos on the sweeter side. Enjoy the culmination of centuries of experience by picking up a tin of modern Virginia from Mac Barron Tobacco Company. Available at fine tobacconists everywhere. This is Internet Radio. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, and I got I got to tell you, I was a little nervous because uh, you know normally I don't go up against too many people that are smarter than I am, but this time I was way out of my league. Um, anyway, uh, please do uh, pick up Pipes and Tobacco's magazine. Email William if you've got any questions for him. All right, for music, we're going back to a suggestion from Dino, and this is a this is a composer that I'd never heard of. His name is Carl Of. Carl, O-R-F-F, a German composer. Uh, interesting music. Uh, I really enjoyed listening to this and getting to know it. Uh, this is called Gassenhauer, and it's, it's a movement from his schoolworks. So, hope you enjoy it.
a uh, longtime lifetime pipe smoker and in his uh, later years got more interested in music education and uh, working with youngsters so uh, you can kind of hear that in uh, that piece oh my god you've got mail you bastard so a uh, quick mailbag and then an, uh, an announcement um so apparently apparently having ken barnes on last week was uh, quite a hit because, uh, as Simon G. wrote, uh, really enjoyed listening to the interview, probably the last high-quality handmade pipes to come out of London. Interesting to hear the mouthpieces weren't hand-cut, considering the big money they go for. Yeah, that was back in the Sheraton days. Um, Not only that, I got an email from Dan Locklear, and uh, another email from Rick Newcomb, uh, thanking me for the interview with Dan. Uh, Al Jones writes, uh, that was outstanding. Now I'm rallying to hear an interview with forum member Pete Siegel of Marble Arch fame. You got it on the list. Uh, Dave in LAX writes, a great interview, one of the best shows yet. And going back to the number one, John Seiler writes, uh, sounds like a quick, pleasant trip to Europe. Ken Barnes is a name well known to anyone who has ever owned or collected Sheraton pipes. Seems like Ken was trained the old way. That is, learning all the aspects from the floor up of the business. The James Upshaw line that he started also was a very high quality line of pipes. Quality is a key aspect of both of these lines. Great interview. Definitely bring Ken back for another interview. Uh, music Cream Crossroads is another well-known musical selection. I was not aware that Ginger Baker was a pipe smoker. And the rant, uh, the American Airlines-U.S. Air merger will result in diminished competition. What else would you expect? It's all big business. You must learn to conform, period. Ha, great show. Uh, Dino, our musical director, writes, Hi, Brian. Welcome back. Thanks for the nice travel log. You're becoming quite the Rick Steves of the pipe world. <laughs> I'd like to become the stay-at-home Rick Steves of the pipe world. Uh, anyway, uh, he goes on to write, Ken Barnes was utterly fascinating. His recount of a literal ground-to-floor executive rise was as interesting as it was entertaining. You must have him back. I have five upshawls in my collection, all fine smokers. I met Mr. Jones at a Chicago show many years ago. I showed him the upshawl I was smoking. It was when you could still smoke in the exhibition hall. A Zulu shape from the early 1980s. He recognized it and said he had made it. Whether he was shining me on or actually did remember making it didn't matter. It was fun meeting and talking to and talking with him. The pipe was and is still one of my favorites. I'm glad you're enjoying some of the music I sent. I hope all your listeners enjoy them too. If not, remember, play what you like, like what you play. Another fine show. Thanks, Dino. Thank you, Dino, very much. Hope you guys enjoyed that last piece, too. Uh, Casey Ghost writes, Really good report on your trip. Very nice interview with Ken Barnes. Very impressive resume. I was really surprised at the number of countries he worked in. I'd like to hear more from him. When uh, businesses merge, it is rarely to benefit the customer and employer. Yep, you're right. Okay, uh, enough of the mailbag announcement. It is uh, February 16th. And we will begin the JDRF auctions in March. Uh, Once again, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, a cause near and dear to my heart, is my daughter has now uh, suffered with diabetes for nine years. And we've run these auctions the last three years, so we're doing it again. We're going to try to beat last year's $3,000. Please email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, if you have anything that you would be so kind as to donate for the auctions. 
We've already gathered up a few things from some very kind people, and we're reaching out to some, to some of our show sponsors for some donations. Uh, we'll begin those in March, so if you've got anything, please email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. We appreciate it. We have proven each year to be better and better at showing how wonderful this community is. All right, in just a minute, rant time. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog and the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> in fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. Take a stab at some politics. Yeah, excuse me, sorry, but it is political season here in the United States as we finally get into our presidential primaries for real. So I'm going to take a stab at some politics for us. All right, here it is. Tobacco taxes and the lottery are purely a tax on the poor. They are purely a tax on the poor. Uh, When you look at tobacco taxes in the United States... A 95% of them are derived from the sale of cigarettes. Cigarettes slant more towards the lower income people. It's a tax on the poor. Every time you raise cigarette taxes, tobacco taxes overall are calculated in most cases based off of cigarette taxes. So therefore, all taxes on tobacco products are a tax on the poor because There's more lower-income smokers than there is upper-income. And the lottery is a tax on the poor. Yeah, it's a $2 chance at millions and millions of dollars, but but it's the poor that are the ones that are using that money instead of spending it or saving it wisely. They're gambling that at a $250 million to one shot of getting a big pile of money. It's purely a tax on the poor. And besides that, I was giggling as the uh, lotto recently got up over $1.5 billion or something like that, and everybody was going nuts. Why? Because the standard base of $20 million isn't enough for anybody? Yeah, I'll take the $20 million. But I don't play the lottery. I don't have any money left over. I'm buying all tobacco products and paying tobacco taxes with it. Anyway, when you're thinking about who to vote for, let people know how you feel that the lottery and tobacco taxes are a tax on the poor. All right, that wraps it up. Hey, make sure and let me know what you did on International Pipe Smoking Day. Post a picture on the uh, Pipes Magazine radio show page on uh, on Facebook. Uh, write a comment in the radio show page on PipesMagazine.com. Email me, tweet me, I don't know, whatever you got to do. Let's see. I want to see what everybody did for International Pipe Smoking Day. Uh, If you get a chance, go to iTunes, leave us a rating or a review. We would appreciate that. 
I want to thank you all for tuning in. Thank William for joining me. Thank the McBaron Tobacco Company. And until next time. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Let's celebrate! Yeah. Ah, yes! You deserve it, comrades! Go do! <laughs>